Chapter 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum. Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josip. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum. Chapter 2 Incidents and Anecdotes. In the month of August, 1825, my maternal grandmother met with an accident in stepping on the point of a rusty nail, and though the matter was at first considered trivial, it resulted in her death. Alarming symptoms soon made her sensible that she was on her deathbed, and while she was in full possession of her faculties, the day before she died she sent for her grandchildren to take final leave of them. I shall never forget the sensations I experienced when she took me by the hand and besought me to lead a religious life, and especially to remember that I could in no way so effectually prove my love to God as by loving all my fellow beings. The impressions of that deathbed scene have ever been among my most vivid recollections, and I trust they have proved in some degree salutary. A more exemplary woman, or a more sincere Christian than my grandmother, I have never known. My father, for his time and locality, was a man of much enterprise. He could, and actually did, keep a hotel. He had a livery stable and ran, in a small way, what in our day would be called a Norwalk Express, and he also kept a country store with greater opportunities and a larger field for his efforts and energies, he might have been a man of mark and means. Not that he was successful, for he never did a profitable business, but I, who saw him in his various pursuits and acted as his clerk, caught something of his enterprising spirit, and, perhaps without egotism, I may say I inherited that characteristic. My business education was as good as the limited field afforded, and I soon put it into account and service. On the 7th of September, 1825, my father, who had been sick since the month of March, died at the age of 48 years. My mother was left with five children, of whom I, at 15 years of age, was the eldest, while the youngest was but seven. It was soon apparent that my father had provided nothing for the support of his family, his estate was insolvent, and it did not pay fifty cents on the dollar. My mother, by economy, industry, and perseverance, succeeded in a few years afterwards in redeeming the homestead and becoming its sole possessor. But at the date of the death of my father, the world looked gloomy indeed. The few dollars I had accumulated and loaned to my father, holding his note therefore, were decided to be the property of a miner, belonging to the father and so to the estate, and my small claim was ruled out. I was obliged to get trusted for the pair of shoes I wore to my father's funeral. I literally began the world with nothing, and was barefooted at that. Leaving Mr. Weed, I went to Grassy Plain, a mile northwest of Bethel, and secured a situation as clerk in the store of James S. Keeler and Lewis Whitlock at six dollars a month, and my board. I lived with Mrs. Jerusha Wheeler, 
and her daughters, Jerusha and Mary, and found an excellent home. I chose my uncle, Alanson Taylor, as my guardian. I did my best to please my employers and soon gained their confidence and esteem, and was regarded by them as an active clerk and acute trader. They afforded me many facilities for making money on my own account, and I soon entered upon sundry speculations and succeeded in getting a small sum of money ahead. I made a very remarkable trade at one time for my employers, by purchasing, in their absence, a whole wagon load of green glass bottles of various sizes, for which I paid in unsaleable goods at very profitable prices. How to dispose of the bottles was then the problem and as it was also desirable to get rid of a large quantity of tin ware which had been in the shop for years and was considerably shop-worn i conceived the idea of a lottery in which the highest prize should be twenty-five dollars payable in any goods the winner desired while there were to be fifty prizes of five dollars each payable in goods to be designated in the scheme then there were one hundred prizes of one dollar each one hundred prizes of fifty cents each and three hundred prizes of twenty-five cents each it is unnecessary to state that the minor prizes consisted mainly of glass and tin ware the tickets sold like wildfire and the worn tin and glass bottles were speedily turned into cash as my mother continued to keep the village tavern at bethel i usually went home on saturday night and stayed till monday morning going to church with my mother on sunday this habit was the occasion of an experience of momentous consequence to me one saturday evening during a violent thunder shower miss mary wheeler a milliner sent me word that there was a girl from bethel at her house who had come up on horseback to get a new bonnet that she was afraid to go back alone and if i was going to bethel that evening she wished me to escort her customer I assented and went over to Aunt Russia's, where I was introduced to Cherry, Charity, Hallett, a fair, rosy-cheeked, buxom girl, with beautiful white teeth. I assisted her to her saddle, and mounting my own horse, we trotted towards Bethel. My first impressions of this girl as I saw her at the house were exceedingly favourable. As soon as we started I began a conversation with her, and finding her very affable, I regretted that the distance to Bethel was not five miles instead of one. A flash of lightning gave me a distinct view of the face of my fair companion, and then I wished the distance was twenty miles. During our ride I learned that she was a tailoress, working with Mr. Zira Benedict of Bethel. We soon arrived at our destination, and I bid her good night and went home. The next day I saw her at church, and indeed many Sundays afterwards, but I had no opportunity to renew the acquaintance that season. Mrs. Jerusha Wheeler, with whom I boarded, and her daughter Jerusha, were familiarly known, the one as Aunt Russia, and the other as Russia. Many of our store customers were hatters, and among the many kinds of furs we sold for the nap of hats, was one known to the trade as Russia. One day a hatter, Walter Dibble, called to buy some furs. I sold him several kinds, including beaver and coney, and he then asked for some Russia. We had none, 
and as i wanted to play a joke upon him i told him that mrs wheeler had several hundred pounds of russia what on earth is a woman doing with russia said he i could not answer but i assured him that there were one hundred and thirty pounds of old russia and one hundred and fifty pounds of young russia in mrs wheeler's house and under her charge but whether or not it was for sale i could not say off he started to make the purchase and knocked at the door mrs wheeler the elder made her appearance i want to get your russia said the hatter mrs wheeler asked him to walk in and be seated she of course supposed that he had come for her daughter russia what do you want of russia asked the old lady to make hats was the reply to trim hats i suppose you mean responded mrs wheeler no for the outside of hats replied the hatter well i don't know much about hats said the old lady but i will call my daughter passing into another room where russia the younger was at work she informed her that a man wanted her to make hats oh he means sister mary probably i suppose he wants some ladies hats replied russia as she went into the parlour this is my daughter said the old lady i want to get your russia said he addressing the young lady i suppose you wish to see my sister mary she is our milliner said young russia i wish to see whoever owns the property said the hatter sister mary was sent for and as she was introduced the hatter informed her that he wished to buy her russia buy russia exclaimed mary in surprise i don't understand you your name is miss wheeler i believe said the hatter who was annoyed by the difficulty he met with in being understood it is sir ah very well is there old and young russia in the house i believe there is said mary surprised at the familiar manner in which he spoke of her mother and sister who were present what is the price of old russia per pound asked the hatter i believe sir that old russia is not for sale replied mary indignantly well what do you ask for young russia pursued the hatter sir said miss russia the younger springing to her feet do you come here to insult defenceless females if you do sir we will soon call our brother who is in the garden and he will punish you as you deserve ladies exclaimed the hatter in astonishment what on earth have i done to offend you i came here on a business matter i want to buy some russia i was told you had old and young russia in the house indeed this young lady just stated such to be the fact but she says the old russia is not for sale now if i can buy the young russia i want to do so but if that can't be done please to say so and i will trouble you no further mother opened the door and let this man go out he is undoubtedly crazy said miss mary by thunder i believe i shall be if i remain here long exclaimed the hatter considerably excited i wonder if folks never do business in these parts that you think a man is crazy if he attempts such a thing business poor man 
said Mary soothingly, approaching the door. I am not a poor man, madam, replied the hatter. My name is Walter Dibble. I carry on hunting extensively in Danbury. I came to Grassy Plains to buy fur, and have purchased some beaver and coney, and now it seems I am to be called crazy and a poor man, because I want to buy a little Russia to make up my assortment. The ladies began to open their eyes. They saw that Mr. Dibble was quite an in earnest, and his explanation threw considerable light upon the subject. "'Who sent you here?' asked Sister Mary. "'The clerk at the opposite store.' was the reply he is a wicked young fellow for making all this trouble said the old lady he has been doing this for a joke a joke exclaimed dibble in surprise have you no russia then my name is jerusha and so is my daughter's said mrs wheeler and that i suppose is what he meant by telling you about old and young russia Mr. Dibble bolted through the door without another word, and made directly for our store. "'You young scamp!' said he as he entered. "'What did you mean by sending me over there to buy Russia?' "'I did not send you to buy Russia. I supposed you were either a bachelor or widower, and wanted to marry Russia,' I replied with a serious countenance. "'You lie, you young dog, and you know it, but never mind.' I'll pay you off some day. And taking his furse, he departed with less ill-humour than could have been expected under the circumstances. Among our customers were three or four old revolutionary pensioners, who traded out the amounts of their pensions before they were due, leaving their papers as security. One of these pensioners was old Bevans, commonly known as Uncle Bibbins, a man who loved his glass and was very prone to relate romantic revolutionary anecdotes and adventures, in which he, of course, was conspicuous. At one time he was in our debt, and though we held his pension papers, it would be three months before the money could be drawn. It was desirable to get him away for that length of time, and we hinted to him that it would be pleasant to make a visit to Guilford, where he had relations, but he would not go. Finally, I hit upon a plan which moved him. A journeyman hatter named Benton, who was fond of a practical joke, was let into the secret, and was persuaded to call Uncle Bibbins a coward, to tell him that he had been wounded in the back, and thus to provoke a duel, which he did, and at my suggestion Uncle Bibbins challenged Benton to fight him with musket and ball at a distance of twenty yards. The challenge was accepted. I was chosen second by Uncle Bibbins, and the duel was to come off immediately. My principal, taking me aside, begged me to put nothing in the guns but blank cartridges. I assured him it should be so, and therefore that he might feel perfectly safe. This gave the old man extra courage. He declared that he had not been so long in bloody battles for nothing, and that he would put a bullet through Benton's heart at the first shot. The ground was measured in the lot at the rear of our store, and the principals and seconds took their places. At a word given both parties fired. Uncle Bibbins, of course, escaped unhurt, but Benton leaped several feet into the air, 
and fell upon the ground with a dreadful yell, as if he had been really shot. Uncle Bibbins was frightened. As his second I ran to him, told him I had neglected to extract the bullet from his gun, which was literally true, as there was no bullet in it to extract, and he supposed, of course, he had killed his adversary. I then whispered to him to go immediately to Guildford, to keep quiet, and he should hear from me as soon as it would be safe to do so. He started up the street on a run, and immediately quitted the town for Guildford, where he kept himself quiet until it was time for him to return and sign his papers. I then wrote him that he could return in safety, that his adversary had recovered from his wound, and now forgave him all, as he felt himself much to blame for having insulted a man of his known courage. Uncle Bibbins returned, signed the papers, and we obtained the pension money. A few days thereafter he met Benton. "'My brave old friend,' said Benton, "'I forgive you my terrible wound and long confinement on the brink of the grave, and I beg you to forgive me also. I insulted you without cause.' "'I forgive you freely,' said Uncle Bibbins. "'But,' he added, "'you must be careful next time how you insult a dead shot.' Benton promised to be more circumspect in future, and Uncle Bibbins supposed to the day of his death that the duel, wound, danger, and all were matters of fact. End of chapter 2